Welcome to Storehouse Dallas. Anyway, so, so thankful to be in the building. I was crying during that song. Lindsay came over and she was like, this is your song. And I'm like, I know, you know, the rain song and the, the cloud the size of a man's fist. It's like, I, I see it. It's coming. This has truly been 10 months of, of giving birth to a baby, and um, somebody asked me, well, you just haven't really been around, and I said, yeah, like a 60-ton building fell on me, and I uh, haven't been able to get up for 10 months, so I'm just so thankful to finally be here and to be with family, and, and this is really a homecoming, and I, I was asking the Lord, you know, what do you want me to share as our first word into our new place, and what we feel like is almost like a second story for us. You know, you build the first story, and we feel like this is almost like a, um, a rebirth of so many promises, and so we're really excited. You know, um, a lot of you don't know this, um, some of you do, but I got saved in the most peculiar way. Um, you know, I was working in the marketplace, and um, I was not saved, um, I'd never read the Bible. I had no relationship, no desire for Jesus. Um, I was a, now, I was an American Christian, and so I went to church on holidays. And um, so the Lord broke in, and I heard the audible voice of the Lord one day. And he said, rebuild my temple. Well, that's kind of interesting when you've never even read the Bible. And so what it did is it set me like the Apostle Paul, it set me off of one road and it put me on another. I truly had my Damascus Road experience. And the fruit of that was a fire in me that, like John said, it just won't go out. All I can say is the title of Jeremy Riddle's new CD, which is more. More. No, that's not enough. I want more. I am so hungry to see the name of Jesus lifted up and glorified over the nations that it has consumed my whole life and the life of my family because he's worthy. And whenever I'm, I'm, I'm challenged, like I, we were so many times in this building process where we were like, this just isn't going to happen. This just isn't going to happen. I just kept thinking to myself, but he's worthy. He's worthy of a life laid down. He's worthy of someone that says, not me, God, but you. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, you're going to come. And so we just put one foot in front of the other, and he kept meeting us in, in the desperation of our longing. And so today I thought it would be appropriate for the very first word that I preach in this house to talk to you about creating a culture of prayer. Because when the Lord said, rebuild my temple, he said, I want you to establish this in a place of prayer. And he gave me a dream right after or soon after um, I had that encounter about rebuild my temple. And in the dream, he said, there was a, there, we had a house of prayer, and over the doorway was a plaque, and on the plaque it read, if you teach them to pray, you don't have to tell them how to live. And so I want to talk about that this morning, um, and I want to start with a quote by E.M. Bounds. He said this, it was claimed that Augustus Caesar found Rome a city of wood and left it a city of marble. The pastor who succeeds in changing his people from a prayerless culture to a prayerful people 
has done a greater work than that of Augustus in changing a city from wood to stone. You see, I believe that without praying leaders, there is no way we can have a praying church. And the statistics are currently that the leadership of the church in America prays a maximum of five minutes a week. Why? Because we've discovered a model that works, but we haven't discovered the man. Ephesians 4, I think, speaks very loudly. And and so why don't we go ahead and turn there because I really want to preach out of Ephesians 4 today. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 4, uh, verse 11. Paul is speaking to the church of Ephesus, and he begins with this. And he talks about Jesus, and he says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And then he says this in verse 16. He says, Until, so there's an until moment, we all come to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to the perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. And so, when, it, when he talks about the unity of the faith, I've, been, I've, I've, I've heard it preached so many times that what he's talking about is that we'll all come together, me and you, and we'll be united in the faith. But that's not what he is saying. What he is saying, this word, when, uh, when you look this up in the Greek, when he says faith, he's talking about this, and this is what it says. This word faith means a conviction or belief respecting man's relationship to God and divine things, generally with the included idea of trust and holy fervor born of faith and joined with it. And so he's talking about a oneness that there will, I'm going to give you and I'm going to equip the body of Christ, but there is coming an until moment when man will finally begin to become one with God. And through that, he will come to know the fullness of God and be made into the perfect man. And this was the prayer that Jesus prayed when he talked in John 17, it was the last thing he asked the father before he was crucified. He said, Father, I pray that they would be one with us as I am one with you and you're one with me, that they would be one with us so my glory could be seen on them. Hallelujah. I believe if leaders in the church can grasp the depth and the height and the width of this experiential encounter in prayer, in love, then we can lend language to the body of Christ so that the body of Christ can perceive the things that are available to them. 
If I can't tell you what happens in prayer, if I haven't had my own encounters, I'll be sharing with you encounters that are good, but they are Day in days past. And so many people are like, well, that was them. It's not for me. But if I can stand up here and I can communicate to you what happens when I touch the hem of his garment, when I go to the place of prayer and I become electrified with the presence of God, that he doesn't just come to me in a place of corporate worship, but I become, I am weeping, I am groaning, I am undone in the place of his presence when he comes just for me. That I would believe and dare to believe that he would come for the one. When we have this kind of language, we can express and create vision and hope for the church of what is possible through a life of prayer. And when Jesus came and he died, he did this. He came and he died to bring us home to the Father. I want to tell you that, that, the, that the, the Son of the living God and the Father God Almighty who created heaven and earth and everything in it, he didn't say, hey, son, I want you to go down to the earth and I want you to get a people and I want you to create a religion so they can all go to church on Sundays. No, he said, I want you to go get my kids and I want you to bring them home. So that they'll know my heart, my longing, and my desire for them. And they will, and, and then through your death and your resurrection, that you will become a supernatural spirit that will go and pierce their hearts and transform them into my likeness. And we will be one. It is about the affections and the love that a father longs for and has for his kids. And the beauty of God's, uh, of, of his design is that he actually gave us the ability to even understand this in the slightest measure because a lot of us are parents. And we know what it feels like when our kids won't talk to us. We know what it feels like to have prodigal son and daughters. We love them. We'll die for them. And we would have died for them when they were first born, before they ever did anything for us. But we knew that they were ours. And so there are six results of a culture of prayer. Number one, living out of the kingdom. Our home in Christ is the kingdom. And Jesus tells us this when he says, seek first the kingdom or his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. So Jesus is calling his family back into the kingdom. And it's very interesting how he says, and it's, it's very interesting for us because, you know, I don't know about you, but we live in a culture that demands all of our time. I'm not talking about some of it. I'm talking about all of it, and especially if you're on social media. It's like all of a sudden, you open up your cell phone, and your brain gets sucked into this thing, a vortex of social media, and then two or three hours go by, and you're like, I don't know what happened. I just got kidnapped into my phone, and like, 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 like. But Jesus said we're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. And he said that we're supposed to be of the kingdom living in the world. 
right? He said this, my kingdom, when Pontius Pilate was talking to him, he said, they say you're a king, and he said, you're right about what you said, I am a king. But my kingdom's not of this world. You see, there are two kingdoms. Revelation says there's the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, and there's the kingdom of this age or the kingdom of this earth. And the kingdom of heaven is a higher plane. It takes authority over everything that is in the earth. And so when he came, he said, listen, I have actually come to transform you. Now I'm going to live on the inside of you. I'm going to give you authority and power over, and you're going to operate in the kingdom. And now all of creation is subjected to my sons and my daughters. But the kingdom doesn't work, and you can't function in the kingdom unless you understand a culture of prayer. The only thing that works with the kingdom and the only thing that makes sense in the kingdom is to have a culture of prayer. And I'm not talking about just corporately. I'm talking about individually. Because you are the temple of the living God. Jesus began his ministry by saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And there are two uh, types of gospels that are preached in the earth. There is the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus preached, and there's the gospel of salvation. The gospel of salvation does not need prayer to make it run. And so you've got, you, have, you have two different things operating here. In a kingdom prayerful culture, You have uh, a supernatural lifestyle. Everything is about the spirit and following the spirit. Therefore, in the kingdom, you have to rely on prayer in order to make the engine go. But if you are part of a culture that says it's all about salvation, you got your ticket punched, live however, what we're going to do is we're going to use the human mind and all that's in it and the understanding in order to develop and get us where we think we're going to go. But I want to ask you a question because you can get there through your mind. There's enough teaching, there's enough experience in the earth, you can get there in your mind. But here's the question, where is there? Because he said that there is more than you can hope or imagine. And so the human mind cannot engage and cannot fathom all that God has for us. Therefore, prayer is the only thing that will help us and give us what we need in order to see all that God has available for us. That's why he said, without faith, you can't please God. Why? Because I heard, and now God is going to have to do. Amen? The pictures of my kids keep popping up. They're so cute. All right, so the kingdom, it is our primary function to be prayerful people. And in this house, we have weekly sets, and I want to show you something. I want to show you a connection between prayer and power. So if you have been healed in this house, if you have been healed, 
If you have received an accurate prophetic word or you've been delivered of a demon, I want you to stand up. Okay. Isn't that amazing? Now, I want you to look around because I'll guarantee you that it was me that only prayed for about 10% of you. The rest of you are the ones that prayed and released the kingdom because Jesus said, if this man has been healed, if this person's been delivered of demon, the kingdom of heaven has come upon you. Okay, you may be seated. And I want you to think about this for a minute. The disciples are looking at Jesus and his life, and they're seeing all of the supernatural that he's flowing in. And and the question that they did not ask him was show us how to do the power stuff. Show us how to, we like the gifts of the Spirit. We want to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. But they had the wisdom by the Father to say, we understand that the power and the wisdom that you're walking in came from your life of prayer. So what they asked him is teach us to pray. Because we want to be like you because we realize that something's happening because you don't pray like the Pharisees pray. On earth as it is in heaven. Heaven and earth will kiss in your life. You are, just as John Wallace said, you are the answer to the cry of the people in the land. You see, the people in America, the people in the world, they know the real thing by their spirit. And they know what they're seeing from much of the church today is not the real thing. Because it says in Isaiah 61 that they will know you are priests of the Most High God. Now, I want to uh, share with you a a great testimony years ago. as part of our testimony as a house, we had uh, one of our beloved worship leaders, her husband, uh, fell asleep in his, at a football game, yay, um, fell asleep in the parking lot. Well, it was about 102, 103 degrees that day. And so as he fell asleep, his brain stem separated from his body, his brain stem and his uh, spinal cord separated, which it does that to protect because his body heat got up to 160 degrees. And so by the time they got him to the hospital and they put him in ice, um, he was basically brain dead. And um, John and I were out of town at the time, but we had gone through a pretty serious season of fasting. In fact, it was one of those seasons where, like, for a whole year we never ate. Do you remember that year? It was like, you know, people talk about a 40-day fast. We actually had a 40-day feast that year. (laughs) So it was a pretty intense season, and um, we got home and, um, and heard the news about what was happening. And that weekend, the first weekend we were back, he coded four times. And so the doctors were telling um, uh, Lisa, our worship leader, you need to start making arrangements because he's not going to make it. Um, and he's, a ve- he's, he's in a vegetative state. So they had all the stuff in him. They were, they were um, keeping him alive through all the, the machines, but he was already gone. And so I was so upset about this, and I just thought, not on my watch. This is not okay. And so I began to ask the Lord, what are you going to do about this? And uh, the Lord said to me, what are you going to do about this? And I'm like, I don't know. What am I going to do about this? (laughs) Again, 
The Lord is looking for a life laid down. He's looking for those who have said yes that he can use to then go raise the dead. Amen? So he said, I want you to go, and um, I want, no, no, he doesn't go to our church. He goes to the Church of Christ. And um, so he said, I want you to go lay hands on him in the hospital, in the ICU, and I want you to say, in, in three days, you are gonna, God's going to raise you up. And so there I am with all of these wonderful, lovely believers, and walking into that room, I'm thinking, okay, hi. And they're literally planning the funeral, you know. And, and it was, don't, don't give false hope to these people. And so I was kind of going against the tide, but I was just doing what the Lord told me to do. And, and so I just walked in there, and I laid hands on him, and I said, in three days, I just spoke to his name. And I said, Chip, in three days, you're going to wake up. And so we fasted and we prayed as a community, and the community broadened, and the Church of Christ started fasting and praying, and the place, the, the Christian school where he worked, they all started fasting and praying. And so people that had never fasted and prayed, we did a 24-7 vigil of fasting and prayer, and on the third day, he literally sat up in the bed and said, I'm hungry. The doctors declared it a miracle because a community came together and refused to be denied. And we partnered with what the Lord wanted to do. Because he found some people who were priests of the Most High God. And after that time, I can tell you, we have become almost like a hospital for everybody who's sick. Because they'll bring, they come from all over the city and they bring their sick here to get healed. Many of our uh, subcontractors would come in, and, um, and they would come in sick, like they'd have a bad back. You know, they work really hard. They'd have bad knees. They'd have bad whatever. And I'm like, hey, what's going on with you because you're not, like, working? And, um, <laughs> and they'd tell me, and I'm like, okay, you need to work, so, you know, get me healed in Jesus' name. And they would get healed, and I was like, praise the Lord. And they're like, uh, that doesn't hurt anymore. Like, I know, it's Jesus. So, so the kingdom of heaven has come upon these people. We are carriers of the kingdom. And in this reality and context of entering this kind of life, the culture of prayer, again, is the only culture that makes sense. The second thing is to train our ears. The second thing that a, that, a, that a culture of prayer does is it trains our ears. We're led by this. The sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. Well, what is the Spirit of God doing? He's not just blowing around up there. However, he does a lot of that. You know, it's like, oh, you went that way. No, wait, we're going this way. Um, but he said, but he's speaking. Jesus said this, my sheep hear my voice. Meaning, what? We hear his voice. So he's speaking. He hasn't stopped speaking. I found that out when I got saved. Audible voice of the Lord. What? I didn't know you still talked. That's awesome. And if you listen, I'm telling you, he has a lot to say. And he's so much smarter than us, you know? I mean, he created the human eye. What a cool thing that was. 
No, they said the human eye, that it is so intricate that it is impossible to, to redevelop it or whatever. So, I mean, you know, kudos, God. All right, the third thing is uh, a, a culture of prayer helps us to build on a firm foundation. See, the thing about a house of prayer, guys, house of prayer is not the international house of prayer's idea. It's not this person's idea or that person's idea. It's the man who fashioned a whip and went into the temple and turned over the furniture. And he said, my father's house is going to be a house of prayer. Because the desire and the longing of his heart was to have a people whose hearts were in love with him. It's not about religious structure. It's not about a religion. It is about love. And I can tell you, I have seen people who have given themselves to a season of fasting and prayer be completely transformed in three months. Would have taken, you know, Dr. Phil 25 years to try to get to the bottom of. And the church was never called to be a psychiatrist. We should really tremble at the thought of trying to design a church around any other model than that that he told us to design it. This is the order that the creator of heaven and earth said this is how it's done. Any other way will get you there but your there is not my there. Today, today, the earth revolves around a conversation of the Godhead that they want to have with their sons and their daughters. I want you to think about that, and I want you to let that sit in your heart. Because I believe that Jesus today has fashioned a whip and is turning the furniture over in his church. The fourth thing that a culture of prayer does is prepare the bride for his return. You see, in the perfect environment that God had created for Adam and Eve, the enemy was able to come and snatch them away. And today we live in the environment of the earth where sin, relativity, all of these things are at their highest level where man is seeking and desiring after man 
and, and they're lusting after one another where truth is relative and there's nothing that, and, and, and people are assigning a, a, a murder of, of unborn children to choice and, 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 and everything is like so confusing. And in this environment, God is going to ignite a company of people who are going to turn from all of it and say, I choose a one thing desire to gaze and to be gaze at Jesus and be in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life. And in that place, you will lead many to righteousness. You will be like the stars in the heavens and lead many to righteousness. And as John said when he prophesied that we will be the burning ones, that people are saying, I don't know what you're doing, but I have to have what you have. And we should have great hope because this is not our idea. It's his idea. Therefore, we know that he's going to pour out his grace. And 15 years ago, there were 20 houses of prayer worldwide. And today, there are 20,000 houses of prayer worldwide. I can tell you, there is a movement happening, and it's not this movement or that movement, but it's God's movement who says, I am going to have my house of prayer, and my church will be a house of prayer. Come on. All right, the fifth thing uh, is discipleship. If we're going to effectively disciple people, the prayer room is the future of discipleship. Let me ask you a question. Who's a better teacher, me or Jesus? Not going to hurt my feelings. Who's a better helper, me or Jesus? Who's a better counselor, me or Jesus? The primary way to disciple people has to be this. How much time are you spending in the word? How much time are you spending in prayer? Watch your words. That's how we disciple people. Make sure that your words, what's coming out of your heart, doesn't align with what the enemy is saying, but what heaven is saying. But if you have the first two, I can tell you that what comes out of your heart will be uh, a good report. How much time are you spending in prayer? How much time are you spending in the word? Because if he is not your primary source of discipleship, our job is not to fix you. It's just not. Our job is to help facilitate what the Holy Spirit is already doing in you through prayer and through the word. And, and through that biblical model, what happens is you, you grow faster. It's like miracle grow because it is a miracle. We've seen people come through our Encounter Jesus School, which is a three-month school, and they come in one way, and I tell you, they are completely transformed and sent out another way with hope and destiny. They know who they are in Christ, and they are courageous champions of the faith in three months. Now, that's a sign and a wonder. The sixth thing and last thing and there are many more, but this is what I have uh, for this morning, is really establishing our identity as family. 
Paul tells us in Romans 8 that the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God and that we will cry out. There's a cry in us that says, Abba, Daddy. We know who we are because, and you can't know who you are unless you know and gaze at the one who made you. Because he's the only one that has the authority and, beloved, the power to tell you who you are. Because the enemy wants to tell you everything that you're not. But when you get in that place of prayer, I'm telling you, he'll start to establish you. And as my spiritual mother said, because when I got saved, I started functioning in all kinds of spiritual gifts. I was prophesying. I was seeing in the spirit, visions, all this kind of stuff. It was crazy. But let me tell you something. Until I got a life of prayer, as my spiritual mom said, you didn't know how to sit down on the inside. I didn't have the confidence and that centered, I was not centered in Christ. And Christ in me was not growing, even though I was operating in the gifts. That's scary. And the truth is, is that this walk that we walk and how we are in prayer, prayer is about communion and it's about intimacy. Prayer should be an emotional and intimate experience. Okay, don't get nervous about this, guys. Prayer should be an emotional experience. We're made in the image of God, and our God is an emotional God. He uses emotional language all throughout the Psalms. The beauty of who he is. Song of Solomon. I mean, my goodness. What he's looking for is relational vulnerability with his sons and his daughters. I want you to be open. I want you to be transparent. This is what he's saying to his people. And know that I love you because I already see it all. And so we can approach him with boldness. No matter what is going on. Your problems have someone who created the entire earth, the universe, everything in it. He created you. Don't you think he knows the answer to your problems? That he can switch and change your perspective in a blink of an eye. And your problems may not change, but when your perspective does, your response to your problems will. And you'll respond with the fruit of the Spirit. That's good, Tracy. So I believe that the body of Christ is an unreached people group for prayer. And I think we need to be prayer evangelists. And so in our house, one of the things that we do and are going to do as we go forward in our new place. Because here's the truth. The world needs a praying supernatural church. Right? Right? How many of you want to raise the dead? I mean, come on, let's be honest. How much fun would that be? You know? It's like, oh, what do you want to do today? Okay, let's, let's spend some time in the prayer room and go to the hospital. Let's go heal all those people that are sick. Because I don't know about you, but I feel really bad. I mean, I'm just moved with compassion going, oh, yeah, I don't want you to have to pay for that. Let's just take care of it now. Doesn't that make more sense? Save money. Go to prayer. So in summary, the prayer movement is basically, as he said in Ephesians 4, the prayer movement is a maturity movement. It's time to grow up into the head, which is Christ. That we would come to the fullness of Christ. And we would mature into the perfect man. Being led by the Spirit. Because we pray. 
And so here are the things that we've done. We do this in three ways. We teach and train prayer in our Encounter Jesus School. Matthew does a great job. I'm there. John's there. John does a great course on the Father's love. Bring your Kleenex. Um, we're we're going to be starting a weekly teaching night on prayer, and those dates are forthcoming. And we also offer corporate prayer sets where you can come and learn from the greatest teacher of all, the Word of God. It's so fun when you get taught by the Word because you're like, okay, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> we currently have um, two sets a day, Monday through Friday, no, Monday through Thursday, and on Saturday mornings. So I ask you and invite you to come and eat from this table. Don't let this moment in time pass us by. We are living in the days, I believe, of the return of Jesus. You can look at the things going on in Israel. Did you know that they actually built a temple up under the Dome of the Rock? They've just opened it. It was like a secret. But they drilled down under the Dome of the Rock, and they've opened a temple. Come on. Sneaky. <laughs> They're like, oh, yeah, we'll show you. We'll go beneath you. So things are moving and shaking in Israel. Whenever that happens, the church better pay attention. All right, so um, here's what I want to say last as we, as we close. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or if you feel like you've been away from the Lord, I really want to give you an invitation to come up. I believe that today is your day. And I just ask now that the Holy Spirit would come and convict your heart and you would be filled with the undeniable desire to be saved and be in the kingdom. And again, we invite you to come into the family, not just our family, but the overall worldwide family of affection. Um, we are the place to be. We are the place where things are happening, okay, the body of Christ. Amen? All right, so let's stand and I'm going to pray over us. So, Father, I do, I just thank you. Um, Father, I thank you for this beautiful building. I thank you for our homecoming. God, I thank you for all that you're doing. Father, I thank you for a culture of prayer and a people of prayer. I pray for a spirit of prayer to fall on this house. God, I ask you that a spirit of prayer and intercession, God, that we would be ones that can't stay away from the flame. God, I pray for a corporate expression of prayer that goes day and night without ceasing until you return. Father, I'm asking that not by might nor by power, but by your spirit, Father, you would build this work. Father, we commit this house to you today. We dedicate it to you. And we say, Lord, have your way in us corporately and in us individually. And I pray that the Lord would bless you as you go out today. Amen. And everybody said. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you would like to partner with us, you can visit storehousedallas.com forward slash give. Or you can send a 